So good. If you got your Bibles, open up to Romans chapter 8. I'll be there in just a few minutes. Whew, goodness, that's hard to stop. So good. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Whew. Y'all were singing good this morning. So good. Just being washed in it up here. It's wonderful. Such a blessing to be in a room full of people just opening up our heart to the Lord. Such a joy. You know, in the middle of Romans 8, Paul emphasized a truth that is also a place of assurance that we should all aspire to occupy in the spirit realm. Not just visit from time to time, but occupy this space in the spirit realm. And that truth is our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory to be revealed in us. God's plan is to uncover and release into and through us his very apparent, obvious glory. Because we're his children, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. But the qualifying reality check is we must accept sharing in Christ's sufferings as part of the process that culminates in getting to share in his glory. In Philippians, Paul wrote, you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you'll be saved in that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. In the message, it says, there's far more to this life than trusting in Christ. There's also suffering for him. And suffering is as much a gift as the trust. The Amplified says, for you have been granted the privilege, for Christ's sake, to suffer in his behalf. Now, usually it's not our first instinct to think of the privilege of sharing in Christ's sufferings. But part of the advantage is this. When life's hardships come against us, we quickly find out what we really believe and where our trust really is. And we also find out the depths of our faith in and our relationship with God. We've been granted the privilege of sharing in his sufferings. In Hebrews 5, it says, during his days on earth, Jesus' life, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save you from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. And although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. Jesus learned obedience from what he suffered. Why do we think we should learn it any other way? Part of sharing in Christ's sufferings involves living from a place of intercession for the needs of others. Living in that place of intercession in our prayers, but also living in that place of intercession with our actions. Jesus literally laid down his life for the whole world. We probably literally won't have to do that. But we're called to follow the heart of his example. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, they must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. And before we ever get to truly taking up our cross and following Jesus, we have to take hold of denying ourselves. Denying ourselves is always a battle. The Amplified describes it as disregarding, losing sight of, and forgetting ourselves and our own interests. Disregarding, losing sight of, and forgetting ourselves 
and our own interests. That's hard enough to do on a good day. And even more so in the face of mockery or ridicule or even sometimes physical persecution because of our faith in God. But when Jesus was here, he walked through all of that and more. If or when any of that comes our way, Jesus will walk with us through whatever comes. If or when it comes, it's on us to remind ourselves to stay with him rather than pulling away from him or accusing him of not taking care of us the way we think he should. It's on us to keep learning more about what it means to walk with him in reverent submission. It's on us to keep drawing upon his grace and the help of the Holy Spirit as we learn more about obedience in real time and in the midst of stressful, challenging situations. Again, God's double promise is one, he won't allow us to be tested beyond our ability to endure. And two, when the testing comes, he will always provide a way for us to stand up under it. Now, sometimes the things that we're suffering through are just part of living on a fallen planet where nothing is as it should be yet. At other times, the things we're suffering through are the consequences of our poor decisions. But many times when life gets hard and we're facing struggles, that suffering is part of training for reigning. Hebrews 12 says, endure hardship as discipline. The Lord is treating you as huyas, as mature, fully grown, fully trusted children. When those situations, the Lord is calling us up into another place. He's seen us in the future and we look much better than we do right now. And as we sang this morning, he's a good, good father. And he knows it's a mistake to speak to us where we're living and the immaturity we're living in now because we stay stuck in that place. So instead what he does, he speaks to us as he's seen us in the future, fully mature, fully grown. He speaks to us as if we're living in that place even when we're here because he knows as he speaks to us about that place, it calls us up. It draws us up into that place. God disciplines us for a reason and for a purpose. The reason is for our good. And the purpose is that we may share in his holiness. The writer of Hebrews also gave us this helpful insight. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. The King James says, unto them which are exercised thereby. And the Greek word the writer of Hebrews used was a direct reference to Olympic-level training. Paul used this same word in his first letter to Timothy. Train yourselves, same word. Train yourselves to be godly. For physical training has some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. There is great benefit in persevering through and pressing on past the physical, emotional, and mental pain of suffering with the eyes of our heart locked onto the promises of that later on and the promises of the harvest of righteousness and peace. When Sydney and I flew to Miami a couple weeks ago, I took some books with me, and one of the books I brought was Holiness, Truth, and the Presence of God by Francis Frangipan, and I read the first half on the way there and read the back half on the way back. And here's one of the things that Francis wrote in that book. We must understand, God wants us to be Christ-like. So Christ-likeness must become our singular goal. The power in the person of Jesus Christ is in us. 
To believe in him is to progressively become more like him. If Christ is within us, we should be living holy and powerful lives, no excuses. Even now, all of creation is waiting for people like us to figure that out. To quit making excuses. And to more consistently show up like that in the world every day. By no choice of its own, all of creation has been subjected to the frustrating mess caused by Adam and Eve in the garden. And yet within creation, there's an earnest, expectant longing and looking for a day. It'll be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. The bondage to decay is what scientists call the second law of thermodynamics. The infinite increase of entropy. Everything's decaying. Everything. Without any exceptions. Though for a while, many things appear to be growing, eventually they all die. And the same is true with human life. And all of that is a direct result of two poor decisions made in Genesis 3. Against that backdrop, with one more reminder that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory to be revealed in us. Let's look closer at the groans before the glory. The groans before the glory. Romans 8, is where we'll start. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Psalm 19 begins, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. The ring of fire eclipse that we got to witness this weekend is just one more declaration and proclamation that we can witness in the sky of the glory and the majesty of our God. Meanwhile, down here on the earth, all of creation resonates with the first groan before the glory, yearning for deliverance. In Greek, this groaning literally means to moan jointly. It describes an experience of common calamity. Paul made it into an analogy of the pains of childbirth. In Matthew 24, Jesus expanded the definition of how this groaning can manifest. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. All of creation's frustration, groaning, and pain are part of a process that one day culminates in a new heaven and a new earth. And the spirit and the bride say, come, Lord Jesus, come. Verse 23, not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Four things here. First, do you have the first fruits of the Spirit. If you're born again, you do. At the moment we're saved, God gives us a new heart and His Spirit, the same power that raised Christ from the dead, takes up residence within us. At the moment we're saved, we also lock in our will-be-saved redemption that leads to eternity in heaven when this life is over. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. He also said, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. I am going to prepare a place for you. And when everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. 
2 Corinthians 5, Paul wrote that when this earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself, not by human hands. We grow weary in our present bodies and we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing. While we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and sigh. Not that we want to get rid of these bodies and die. We want these dying bodies to be swallowed up by life. God himself has prepared us for this. And as a guarantee of what is to come, he has given us his spirit as a deposit. But if you haven't yet surrendered the control of your life to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Yes, you're, you're here at church this morning. You're looking for something. But listen, you're still on the outside looking in. And what you'll see if you look in is a gift. The free gift of salvation. Even now, it's being offered and extended to you again. We've been singing about it all morning, but even now, it's being offered to you again, awaiting your response. Psalm 95 says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. It's with our hearts that we believe and are justified. It's with our mouths that we confess and are saved. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then and only then do we get the first fruits of the Holy Spirit. If you've never asked Jesus into your life, today's the day. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. If you've never asked Jesus into your life, there's a reason that you showed up at church today. You could be anywhere in town today. But if you've not given your life to Christ, that you came to this place today for whatever you thought the reason was, today's the day. Just open up your heart to the Lord. Say, okay, I'm tired of living on my own. I'm tired of running my own life. I need you. We sang it this morning. How I love you, how I need you. And those words are reverberating in your spirit. As you sang those this morning inside your spirit, you knew, I need that. I need that. Well, come and get it. Come and get it. You just have to invite him into your heart. Say, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart. I give you the control of my life. Forgive me. Wash me. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. It's, it's not magic words. It's just a conversation. It's just a, a surrender. With our hearts we believe, with our mouths we confess, Jesus Christ is Lord. You can do it right where you're sitting this morning. And if you, if you do that this morning, I want to encourage you, before the service is over, come to the front and let us pray for you at the end. It's just something we want to celebrate with you, we want to agree with you on, just lock in with you. The Amplified emphasizes having and enjoying the first fruits of the Holy Spirit as a foretaste of the blissful things to come. This is another way of pointing to the opportunity we have to pray for and then to enjoy and experience God's kingdom coming and God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven. Right now, we have access to heavenly first fruits, things of the Spirit. Even while we inwardly groan, the second groan before the glory. The second point here is we groan inwardly. Although we are redeemed in spirit, our bodies are not yet redeemed. So we too are groaning. And in the Greek, this groan describes being in a confined, restricted, difficult straits. Places of high stress where we feel pressed in on, narrowed, squeezed, maybe even intimidated by circumstances and obstacles on every side. And this inward groan can even include waves of sorrow. All of that evokes from within us an inarticulate or semi-articulate sighing and murmuring and some inaudible prayers mixed in. Second Corinthians 4, Paul revealed the way through the inward groan. We do not lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. 
For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, and what is unseen is eternal. Instead of focusing on the circumstances and the obstacles, what if we adjusted our thinking and perceiving to see them as working for us, not against us? What if we locked into and looked for whatever the Spirit of God is arousing within us in this confined space? And what if we learn to recognize these straits as birth pangs connected to the eternal glory to be revealed in us? That's a game changer that helps us transition into the third thing, as we wait eagerly. This wait eagerly is infused with a, what's God going to do next kind of expectancy. It's not passive, inactive waiting. It's not just sitting around waiting for Jesus to come back. Instead, as we wait eagerly, it's all about living an active, engaged, focused lifestyle of a servant with a twist. Like Jesus, we're to be those who live to serve, not to be served. And yet, as co-heirs with Jesus, we're to live this servant-hearted lifestyle as much-loved, highly favored children of God. We serve the Lord because we get to. We serve the Lord because we want to. We serve the Lord because we love to, not because we have to. And all of that serving is part of walking and working out the ongoing I am being saved part of our salvation that leads to the final redemption of our bodies. The redemption of our bodies is the fourth thing here. In Greek writings, this redemption described the liberation of prisoners of war, of slaves, and of those living under the death penalty. This is a longing for the future tense salvation of our bodies. Soma is the Greek word Paul used here for our bodies. And it refers to our physical bodies. Literally, it means the body as a sound whole. Romans 12 exhorts us, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies, offer your soma, offer it to God as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Ephesians 4.16 uses the same word. From him, Christ, the whole body, the whole soma, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So the redemption of our bodies, the redemption of our soma, is an individually unique experience as well as a corporate community experience. Verse 24, for in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? The first fruits of the Spirit have the power to transform and reconnect our inward groan as we wait to hope. The hope that we're given when we're saved. As born-again believers, we've been made new creations in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. And yet at the same time, there's still more. This Greek word for hope means to anticipate with pleasure and confidence. It's not wishful thinking. It's to anticipate with pleasure and confidence. This hope is an end result. This hope is the end result of learning 
how to rejoice in our sufferings. Because we know that sufferings produce perseverance and perseverance character and character a hope that does not disappoint because God has poured his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. This kind of hope comes as we stand on this truth. God is good. He's good in all he does and he's good in all that he is. Listen to this from uh, Hebrews chapter 6. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you've shown him as you've helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end in order to make your hope sure. We want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end in order to make your hope sure. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. And so this hope is a discipline. And look what else it does for us. A few verses down in verse 19 of Hebrews 6. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. This hope is an anchor for our will and emotions. This hope keeps drawing us to the mercy seat to meet with Jesus face to face. This hope is an invisible faith-based lifeline, a hope we experience without seeing. Because as Paul asked, who hopes for what he already has in full? In this hope, we were saved. That word saved is sozo, saved, healed, delivered, protected, preserved, and made whole. Sozo is the work and process of our salvation. It happens within us to bring us to wholeness, but also to bring us into holiness. Interesting, the word soma comes from the word sozo, which is just one more insight into God's heart, purpose, and original intention. Soma sozo has always been his plan for each of our bodies to be a sound whole. Restored to our original roots, saved, healed, and delivered. How does he accomplish it? Here's another quote from Francis Frangipan's Holiness, Truth, and the Presence of God. While we draw closer to the heart of God, the very fire of his presence begins a deep purging within us. To ascend toward God is to walk into the furnace of truth where falsehood is extracted from our souls. To abide in the holy place, we must dwell in honesty. Each ascending step upon the hill of God is a thrusting of our souls into greater transparency, a more perfect view into the motives of our heart. It is the upward call of God which we pursue. True holiness arises from the hidden places in our hearts. Indeed, it is truthfulness that leads us to holiness. Truth is knowing God's heart as is revealed in Christ. And it is knowing our own hearts in the light of God's grace. Verse 25. But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. The word's the same in English, but this is actually a different word for hope in the Greek. This word means to confide in and to entrust with a kind of secrecy attached to it. 
This kind of hope manifests in us as inner peace. It's a peace that passes understanding. It's a peace that enables us to wait patiently. And that word for patiently means with cheerful hope, endurance, and constancy. We're to wait like that for our hope to be fully realized. And we can live out this hope by trusting the Lord with all our heart and leaning not on our own understanding and in all our ways acknowledging God. I love Romans 8.25 in the message. That is why waiting does not diminish us any more than waiting diminishes a pregnant mother. We are enlarged in the waiting. The longer we wait, the larger we become and the more joyful our expectancy. Verse 26, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. All of creation has been groaning for a long time, right up to now. And inwardly, we groan for the day of our full redemption to be realized. In hope, we wait for it patiently. And when a moment comes, we find ourselves weak in the waiting. The Holy Spirit takes things up to another level for us. Many times in our weakness, the first thing to go is our prayers. We disconnect from hope-filled, faith-based, quietly confident prayers. Our conversation with God suffers. Sometimes we quit praying altogether. At other times, we just don't know how to or what else to pray. And in all those times, the Holy Spirit's groans fill the void. While we're waiting for Soma Sozo, the Spirit himself comes alongside us in our weakness, in the feebleness of our minds and bodies, in our strengthless infirmities and maladies and frailty. The Holy Spirit intercedes and prays for us on our behalf. At such a deep level, there are not words to express it clearly. Verse 27. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. We'll pick back up here next weekend. And until then, think on this. Jesus is the one who searches our hearts. Jesus is also the one who ever lives to intercede for us. He knows us better than we know ourselves and Jesus does not hold our weaknesses against us. Jesus can also interpret the Holy Spirit's intercessory groans. So Jesus' prayers for us are joined to the Holy Spirit's intercession for us. And that carries us in our weakness. And their prayers win the day for us. They always stand in the gap for us and with us. And when necessary, the Holy Spirit adds the third groan that goes before the glory. Let's stand together. There is a whole lot of groaning going on. And you are right in the middle of it, God. You are right in the middle of it. You set it into the heart of creation. You set it in our hearts. 
and even your spirit joins on our behalf. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you're not disconnected from all the stuff that we live in day to day. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you look into us. Thank you that you see us as we are and you love us right in that place. But I thank you that you're always calling us up into a better place, into a more mature place, into the place you created for us to occupy and inhabit in the spirit room, where we're the salt of the earth and the light of the world, where we're your hands and your feet, where your love flows freely into us and right through us into situations where we serve like Jesus served. We give like Jesus gave. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the calling on each one of our lives. Thank you that you're not finished with any of us yet. And we ask you, Lord, just to keep drawing us. We pray for hope to stay alive in us. This confidence that we have in you, that your kingdom is coming, your will is being done. And even now, in greater ways, let it be so on earth as it is in heaven. Thank you, Lord, for the calling on each of our lives. Let us walk with you. Let us honor you. Let us be reflections of your light and love in this fallen world we live in. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.